One thing I'd like to talk about, we have Vesak, the most important date in the Buddhist calendar, celebrating the birth of the Bodhisattva, the supreme awakening under the Bodhi tree, Odovela, near the Niranjana River, now known as Bodhgaya, and the final passing, Maha Parinibbana, the final attainment of Nibbana, of the Lord Buddha. And probably tomorrow we will be talking mostly about Sama Sambodhi under the Bodhi tree and Parinibbana, but I can say a few words hopefully today about the birth of not the Buddha, but the birth of the Bodhisattva. Because we can call him only Buddha from the time of enlightenment under the Bodhi tree until Parinibbana. Before that, he is called the Bodhisattva. Because although he was destined for Buddhahood, he didn't have the insight yet. And the story starts a little bit earlier. In his previous rebirth, you can actually read it all in number 123 in the Matima Nikaya, middle length discourses, one of the well known Nikayas in the Pali Canon, the early suttas, direct word of the Buddha, number 123, Acharya Abhuta Sutta. Acharya Abhuta means wonderful and marvelous, amazing, astounding, mind-blowing, as I would say. And the birth of the Bodhisattva is truly a mind-blowing event, it's so special. And uh, it's Venerable Ananda talking, and the Buddha encouraging him to talk to the other monks about it, to increase their faith. And then the Buddha confirming all the things Venerable Ananda is mentioning, because Venerable Ananda had heard it from the Buddha himself anyhow. So he goes through a long list of the marvelous and mind-blowing qualities and events surrounding the Bodhisattva, his mother, and the birth, and the pregnancy, and the conception. And the story starts in Tusita heaven, because all the Buddhas have spent their immediate last life before they become a Buddha. The Buddhas is always in the human world, but immediately before that they always reborn in Tusita heaven. Now if we count from the human world, the next level up is the Devas of the Four Great Kings. Then come the Devas of the 33 Tavatingsa. Then come the Yama Deva. And then come the Tusita. So it's already a somewhat higher but still a central realm of rebirth. The Tusita means also the contented. So it's already a very refined world. There is no war at all, and then they live in, in blissful in contentment. And amazingly, the Bodhisattva is already reborn 
as the king and that Tosita heaven mindfully and fully aware. It's a little bit easier to do that as a spirit or as a deva, as a Brahma, than as a human being. The rebirth as a human through conception, pregnancy, gestation and birth is quite a difficult process. So often we can't remember, but it's easier. But certainly in the Bodhisattva is with full awareness and mindfulness arises in the Tosita heaven. Then he lives the full lifespan of that devas. And then he passes away from that deva realm again, mindful and fully aware. The later scriptures will elaborate on that whole story quite extensively, but I try to focus on what we have from the Buddha himself, because you can notice that particular in later traditions, Mahayana, the stories become more and more marvelous with more and more miracles occurring. Whereas the original one is still fairly restrained, and in particular it ends with a statement of the Buddha, which I can't imagine any commentator would have ever made. So I have great confidence that we really have the word of the Buddha there in that sutta. And then they say when uh, conception occurs in the Bodhisattva Mata, uh, that is Queen Mahamaya, the wife of King Sudodana, and uh, the moment uh, conception occurs, there's an infinite light going through the whole universe, which is so powerful that it outshines even the radiance of the highest devas and brahmas to the extent that those beings who are in remote corners of the universe, somewhere between the galaxies, where it's completely dark, even those will suddenly see the light and they recognize the first time that there are other beings around. And a big earthquake occurs as well. The later tradition elaborates on that story and they say that this was actually on an Oposata day, and would have been Asala, the full moon in July, which now is the start of the rains retreat. Ten months before Vesak, when he is born, the full moon in May. And his uh, mother was observing uh, the precepts. Because the Bodhisattva wouldn't be born in an unvirtuous family, in particular not with an unvirtuous mother. And they say, and this is a later tradition now elaborating, that she was lying down as a hot, hot time in the year, and she was having a rest, and then she was dreaming. And in the dream, the devas took her to a deva palace on a beautiful mountain, and the whole palace was made of gold, and he was sleeping on a bed made of silver. And then when she was lying down there and sleeping, she saw a white elephant approaching. The elephant is a, a symbol of great power and royalty in ancient India. And it's still the largest living land animal, so it's a symbol of a being of great power. And then this elephant would circumambulate her 
respectfully three times and then he would enter her body from the right side. The story continues that from the moment conception had occurred in the Bodhisattva Mata in the ten months before birth, she would become naturally virtuous. She was already virtuous in keeping precepts, but now, due to the very close association with the most developed mind in the whole universe, she would become naturally virtuous. So it was no longer an effort for her. She just wouldn't fear any inclination, even if she's upset to break any of the precepts, to kill, to steal, to commit sensual misconduct, to lie or to take alcohol or other intoxicants that cause heedlessness. was just completely gone. There's a difference. Even a very virtuous person is often a struggle, and one has to deliberately restrain oneself. But at the time when she is pregnant, it is just natural for her. It's also said that from the moment of conception for devas, later scriptures say it's the four kings of the first deva loka, which has most interaction with humans, they start protecting her and the unborn child so that no harm or danger can come either to the mother or the child from anywhere. So four protective devas around her and the child all the time. They say you know, that she will enjoy you know, the four uh, pancha karmaguna, the four strands of uh, sensuality, which often rather indicates an indulgent lifestyle, but here it simply means that she's basically spoiled rotten. I shouldn't say that for the Bodhisattva Mata, my apologies. So someone is pampered, completely spoiled. And as she is the wife of the king, the king can quite easily arrange for that. So basically she doesn't have to bother about a thing. And her natural mother instinct that she wants in a safe, secure environment where she can uh, give birth and bring up the child and okay. feeling completely safe, and that is exactly provided. She's not lacking anything. The kind of the opposite of, like, saying a mother who has to do a single mom struggling with work and no, does she get enough money. So the very opposite of that. She's completely pampered, looked after. The king has got her back, makes sure that she's not lacking anything. And she's very at ease. And she has no morning sickness, none of the typical sickness you may have in pregnancy. Like her sister-in-law, she had, I think, quite a bit. Bodhisattva Mata, and it wouldn't occur completely fit and healthy throughout the whole pregnancy. And she can see the child in her in mental vision. She has actually a clear picture of the child, Ahi Nindriyang, without any faculty lacking or missing. That seems to indicate she doesn't see it as an embryo or 
fetus or something, but she sees it probably more like a child which is already born, but in her mind. And the simile that is given for that, just like you have a jewel and a string attached. So you have probably, my interpretation would be, the jewel is the supreme being, the bodhisattva, and the string attached, so to speak, the body of the mother. Or the other way around. There's no explanation given for the simile. A jewel with a string attached. And it said that the Bodhisattva Mata, the mother of the Buddha, the Bodhisattva, that she will always give birth exactly 10 months. Some women give birth at 9 months, or a little bit later, or 10 months. In the case of the mother of the Bodhisattva, pregnancy takes exactly 10 months. So that is from Asala, entry to the rains retreat, full moon in July, until full moon in May, Vesant now. And uh, the later tradition explains the story how the birth exactly happened. And it was customary in ancient India that uh, women would get married and then would move in with a husband's family. It's not like nowadays, nuclear family, where husband and wife usually start their own home, have their own family, but the husband would actually live with his own parents. And then she would have to move into the house of her husband, which can be difficult because she would have a low kind of hierarchy position and she would be often under the thumb of the mother-in-law in particular. But they had the custom that for the birth of the first child she would return to her own parents and give birth, not at her husband's home, but back at her own parents and her own mother's home. So she would send out you know, with a big cover van, the king would organize it you know, very splendidly and that she is well looked after and protected. And she would move from uh, Kapilavatu, where the Buddha's father lived, King Sudodana, to Devadaha of the Kolians under the capital, where she would hail from. And quite fascinatingly, I once read that um, a good contact with a mother is a very helpful factor to reduce any chance of postnatal depression. So apparently, a good contact with a mother is very important for a woman when she gives birth and afterwards for her mental and psychological well-being. And this tradition was probably providing exactly that. And she is with her mother when she gives birth. But in this case, it worked out differently because halfway on the journey, middle of the day, quite hot, and she saw this beautiful Lumbini grove with side trees, with Ashoka trees, and she felt a spontaneous inspiration to visit that grove. So they stopped the caravan to indulge her um, inspiration and her intention. 
And she started walking around and then she noticed that she was already in labor. And very quickly you know, they arranged that. It's quite easy because royalty those days was used anyhow to amuse themselves near El Fresco. They would go into the pleasure grove and so they would have servants and they would quickly put a screen around her just made of cloth. And they say that she would hold on to a tree. Traditional Theravada says a salt tree, but many other sources, I have looked into that quite a bit, many other sources and the earliest representation in sculpture actually show an Ashoka tree. And if you look at a real salt tree, the branches usually come up at five meters height or something, so it will not be easy to grab on, whereas an Ashoka tree is more like a large bush. It's like a bush tree, and the branches come out just at the right height. And there's still a tradition nowadays, it's also a fertility symbol, and they flower at the right time. Side trees don't flower at that time, whereas the Ashoka tree would flower around Vesak. And even now in Nepal they say the Ashoka tree will only flower if it has been kicked by a beautiful girl. <laughs> so there still is some uh, tradition connected now, with fertility, because it's an almost archetypal an Indian symbol of a fertility goddess also. But what is mentioned in the Sutta himself is the next detail, that she doesn't give birth lying down or sitting or squatting, but she gives birth standing. So all the mothers of the Bodhisattvas will always give birth standing upright, holding on to a branch. And uh, I thought this is something really um, completely unheard of, but I talked once to a professional midwife, and she said it's actually the best position. I was quite surprised. She said it's actually a very good position for the mother, probably because the gravity will support the whole process. Although she said for the midwife is the most difficult one. <laughs> for the midwife is tough. But I was quite intrigued now that a professional midwife mentioned that it's even now considered a good one. However, in this case, uh, the birth will be very easy and the newborn bodhisattva will be received first by the devas. So devas manifest, or just hands manifest, and they receive him, not humans. And it's also said that the child is born without any of the normal impurities and slime and uh, the normal impurities that come with childbirth for some reason that they are said not to be present. Just like when you have a diamond and you put it onto a silk cloth from Kasi, neither would the diamond soil the silk cloth nor the silk cloth would soil the diamond. So similar due to the great, probably in the mental purity of the Bodhisattva and his mother, is somehow a birth without impurities. Nevertheless, even so, spontaneously, the two streams of water manifest in the air, one cold, one warm, 
for bathing both the baby boy and the mother. And then the devas will place, because the devas receiving the baby, and they place him in front of the mother, and they announce to her, Rejoice, queen, be happy. A son has been born to you is of the unexcelled power and unique. So I can imagine the happy mother must be quite a powerful experience. Now all the devas coming, receiving your child. Now they're placing him in front of her. And then the bodhisattva will walk seven steps. And he will raise his hand and he makes the solemn declaration after walking seven steps to the north. Raising his hand, he makes a solemn declaration that he is the foremost in the whole world, the most senior, and that this is his last life and there will be no further coming to this state of being, his last birth. How can a little baby do that? Because he has still has mindfulness. He had uninterrupted mindfulness from the time when he was born in Tosita Heaven, through Tosita Heaven, through dying in Tosita Heaven, through conception, and the later scriptures fill in that, that he maintained that even during pregnancy and during childbirth. Just sit on the bench, Rohan. So the mindfulness, the mindfulness also means memory. So he, he still knew how to walk. Or he had the body of a baby. He still knew how to walk and that maybe then is possible. I'm not sure whether the physical structure of the hips and so on of a baby would allow it, but assuming that he still had the full mindfulness and knowledge now how you walk, one can maybe imagine it. And in particular, he had the mindfulness that he had completed the Pavami and that he now is determined to crack it and attain a full Nibbana in that very life. You can actually still watch these seven steps, at least the imprints, because if you go to Lumbini in Nepal, one of the four most sacred sites of Buddhism, now this is actually what the temple there is built over. There's just the foundations in the earth, and then they've built a temple over it. But in the foundations, now they found a kind of petrified piece of soil, which over time they turned more like into almost like a stone, and where there are still the little imprints of a little baby, seven tiny steps. That is actually what people worship there. But that thing is very ancient. I think it was worshipped like that already in King Ashoka's time or shortly later. And again, with the birth, 
there's also the immeasurable light going through the whole universe. And there's a big earthquake occurring. And with this immeasurable light and the big earthquake and the birth without any impurity and being received by the devas and the water magically manifesting in the air for washing and then the little baby child walking and talking and announcing is his last life. This is how Venerable Ananda is ending what he had heard of the Buddha. And some people may be skeptical now whether this is all really what the Buddha said or could that really have happened. But what makes this sutta so convincing to me is the very next comment on the Buddha, or the comment by the Buddha. Because now he is adding one more quality, or topping it, so to speak. It's not so easy to top that one, isn't it? Unsullied birth received by devas, earthquake, light through the whole universe, little baby walking and talking. How do you top that? The Buddha mentions one more marvelous and outstanding quality in the Tathagata. It tells Venerable Ananda, please remember this marvelous and wondrous quality in the Tathagata. In the Tathagata, thoughts arise knowingly mindfully, with clear comprehension, with full awareness. And they continue, and the thoughts pass away, mindful, with full awareness, clearly comprehending. The feelings arise mindfully, persist, and then and pass away in the Tathagata's mind, mindful and clearly comprehending, and the perceptions, sonyas, arise mindfully, he is fully aware, fully comprehending why they persist, and he is mindful and aware when they pass away. So Venerable Ananda dutifully says, yes, Monte, I will also remember that as a marvelous quality of the Tathagata. And I feel so convinced that this is directly from the Buddha. No commentator would have topped up this story of miracles with this kind of statement. But this is an important one, because that is the underlying cause for the other things. Because the Bodhisattva had developed mindfulness and comprehension over many lifetimes. Sati Sampajanya. He didn't have it yet on the full level as the Buddha, but gradually developing it lifetime by lifetime. And that is another crucial cause for all these other miracles later to happen, that mental development.
is also important because that is something that which we can do. <laughs> the other story is more like inspiring, but it's not it's not very practical. Particularly if you're a man, but even for a woman, it's not very common that a woman gives birth to the bodhisattva. But thoughts, perceptions, and feelings arise in all our minds continuously. And trying to be aware of that, to be mindful of that, now that's something everyone can do. That is something practical and applicable. So the Buddha was not just topping it, but he was also bringing it back to now how to make the Dhamma now openayiko applicable. Because that is the underlying cause of all the miracles in the end, that he had developed this quality. The other thing that intrigues me, and you can also see it a little bit symbolically, in the Mahayana they talk about the Tathagata Garbha, the embryo of the Tathagata, which all humans have. Because if you take the Bodhisattva, the Buddha as a metaphor for enlightenment, for some Bodhi, for realization, for Nibbana, for full awakening, now then uh, every one of us right now, our mind is like uh, a little baby bodhisattva because we have the potential that we can also develop uh, that same state the Buddha experienced under the Bodhi tree. So in that sense we are all bodhisattva martyrs because <laughs> we can bring you know, the embryo of that quality of awakening hopefully to birth. This is maybe another more practical um, lesson we can draw from it all. Even the men, we can be pregnant with the potential for enlightenment. Every human being has that potential in their mind. We should be bodhisattva martyrs in the sense that can we give birth to that quality of awakening. We have to nurture it properly. We have to look after that embryo in our mind so that it can fully develop into that quality of awakening. So you're all bodhisattva martyrs. You all have the Tathagata Garbha. You all have the embryo of the Tathagata, the embryo of Buddha in your mind. And you can hopefully develop that like a pregnancy and then give birth to the quality of enlightenment. And not literally, but by Dhamma practice. And then the giving birth of Buddha is now becoming enlightened, realizing Nibbana, abandoning defilements, understanding Four Noble Truths, understanding dependent origination, 
understanding craving as a cause of suffering and abandoning craving, understanding that all eye-making and mind-making, all entity view, all I, me, mine and self is just a delusion and illusion, a harmful dream, nothing real. This is really giving birth to the Buddha.